0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello,
1: Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are. Week. Well, no, is, season two. Yeah.
2: episode. Well, episode 54. We could say season two, episode, episode two, two, but don't make me do that because <laughs> I'm going to keep cumulative count on how many episodes we've done because when we get to 100, it'll be a big deal again. So um,
1: I, I got to say, we're doing something right. I had... Record traffic to the Narcanon Suncoast website yesterday or today. Well, really, yesterday I, looked, I saw it today. But I also did some googling because I like kind of see what's out there. PR wise, out. Yep. And you see tons of our podcast episodes out there when you type in your name or my name and Narcanon Suncoast. All our episodes are coming up, and uh, all the letters to the editor, all the public service announcements we do, all the blogs I write that we talk about. It's like. We're getting the word out, yep. which I think the, the graph that I looked at this morning of uh, website traffic is proof of that because more people are becoming aware of what we're doing, what we're talking about, the conversations we're having, how important it is, yep. because I think there's nothing more important than the conversations that you and I have, because if we're not going to have it with the people out there that are listening, no one else is going to, or if someone else is going to, I'm afraid they'll give them bad or wrong information. Right. And. What I know is that you and I give people actual, real, factual information that they can think with and make whatever life decision it prompts. That's right. And I wish it had been around when I was, uh, you know, in my younger years, you know, I was one of those kids that I had very, very controlling parents as they should have been because probably something early in my life told them we got to watch this one. Uh, (laughs) I know there was a term, I think it came out years ago, called a helicopter mom. There's always hovering around her kid, mm. you know, just like controlling that, and was that. <laughs> making things, you know, all correct for the kid and, you know, just kind of hovering around. I had one of those moms and I, I love her for it because she was very, very concerned about her children doing well and growing into, Guy. Uh, contributing members of society just responsible not being, just adults, being responsible yeah. she's a good, not being, she's a good lady not yeah. being terrible my mom yeah. is a fantastic woman yeah i i, always I say agree I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my mother literally. i like your mom <laughs> <laughs> but um when i went off to college the control was gone and i was left to doing everything i wanted to do in a very reckless way and they don't prepare you for this when i went to college and i went to university of miami down in uh, Coral Gables. No one tells you that this is what happens at college. And maybe this doesn't happen at colleges nationwide. But this was my experience. Is that within 12 hours of being on that campus. I was offered seven kinds of drugs. Including alcohol. I was offered seven venues to take the drugs. Seven different parties to go to. Seven different bars to go to. With free drink tickets. Um, seven different little concerts. And all this stuff that I was just like. Wow. This is amazing, but that was the start of my end. And this was how long ago? Nineteen ninety nine.
2: You know it's worse. You know it's worse now. That's nineteen years ago. You know that it's got to be worse on college campuses now. I, it's not going to be better.
1: I wonder. And the re- reason I bring that up is that we have several students at Narcanon that their story is: I was a great student in high school. I was an honor roll. I was in the top, you know, 3 per- the, you know, top three percent of my class. I went to college and I got addicted to drugs. Yep. That is not an uncommon story.
2: Yep.
1: And you know, when I was an addict in college, obviously I surrounded myself with other addicts at the college. And uh, I started thinking like there's one night I remember us, a bunch of us is sitting around doing Coke and all sorts of stuff. And I thought there's a room full of pretty smart people. What are we, what are we doing? What are mm-hmm. we doing? And I said, eh, it's college. We're having fun. Yeah, we're we're having getting fun. high. It's yeah. college. We're yeah. <laughs> having fun. Yep. But I wish I had more information going into college about drugs than I have. Do you know how much information I had like none
2: yep yeah. refer madness I, I <laughs> refer
1: madness and dare I mean come on, yeah, yeah so yeah, and I think it's an interesting thing because the the trend is happening that I, more and more people's story is I went to college and got addicted. It wasn't yeah. like I smoked pot at fifteen, drank alcohol at sixteen, and got addicted to drugs. It's like a lot of these a lot of these uh, people coming to Narcanon are saying. I was fine until i went to college and i was um i was kind of inundated my, my space was inundated with people offering me drugs and alcohol and all sorts of stuff and not to mention a lot of them got put on psychiatric medication when they were stressed out during finals by like the, the campus medical clinic yep and that's a whole other can and you, of- and well that's a whole other can, <laughs> can of worms yeah and
2: i'm telling you it's way worse now because i know in when i was in high school of course you have to understand, I was in college in the 70s. And that was the whole, like, marijuana, boom, hippy dippy, you know, LSD and all of that. But, you know, in high school, I if I knew, I don't even think I knew anybody that did drugs in high school. And now it's so much more, it's the ages come down, because, you know, a lot of the uh, almost every single interview we've done, you know, they started like, when they were still Young. in middle school or high school, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary. I'm interested, I'm going to segue now because I know we have to call yeah, yeah, our, yeah. our guest today, but I'm kind of interested to hear what he's going to tell us because he made a short film. He's a very, very well-known actor. And so our interview today is with actor, writer, Jim Meskiman. And Jim kind of put this as uh, on the bottom, but I think this is really, really cool because we talk about family a lot. Jim is the son of actress Marion Ross, and she was Mrs. C on Happy Days.
1: Oh, really? So
2: she has to be probably the coolest mom ever. Uh-huh. I'm just going to say that right now, and I'll say that to Jim as well. Anyway, he has been a professional actor in film and television for over 30 years. He's been, a, he appeared in Academy Award nominated films like Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Frost Nixon, which I saw him do recently. There will be blood, oh, and yep, and hit TV shows Parks and Recreation, Friends, The Big Bang Theory, and Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Now I know Jim as an actor, but I also know him as an unbelievable unbelievable impressionist he's absolutely amazing and doing his impressions he's earned a claim with jib jabs this land animated short for which he provided the singing voices of George W Bush John Kerry and others he also appeared on the British whose line is it anyway was a finalist on America's got talent go Jim and stars in a TV series about impressionists impress me on Amazon Prime he writes his live one-man show Jim press and writes weekly videos for his YouTube channel, including a tribute to Robin Williams, which went viral after the performer's death in 2014. Um, you could, so you can watch him on YouTube if you just look for Jim Meskimen and then watch Impress Me on Amazon Prime. So let's get him on the phone because I want to hear about the documentary that he did. So Jim Meskimen, thank you so much for being on the call today with us.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure.
2: And I was reading your bio, and I have to tell you that I said your name, and then I had to drop to the sentence where you talked about your mom, because your mom has to have been one yeah. of the coolest moms ever. You lucky dog.
0: I'm a lucky dog, but but probably for different reasons than, than you might imagine. I mean, she, uh, Marion Ross, who played uh, Mrs. C on Happy Days, is, is my actual mom, as you know. And uh, I think a lot of people feel a strong, oh, I know that people feel a strong connection to that character and to her, you know, her symbol of, of iconic maternity or whatever. But, um, you know, she she actually wasn't very much like Marion Cunningham, who, of course, is a kind of a two-dimensional character. But in, rea- in real life, she uh, is and was, you know, a very wonderful, supportive a person in an entirely different sort of way and hold her own distinct flavor. And uh, I was very lucky, though, that is true. And, yes. and I, I'm grateful for being her son. She's terrific. She's kicking around. She's 89. She's on a book tour now for her autobiography, My Days, Happy and Otherwise. And wow. People are really enjoying it.
2: That's amazing. Well, I will say, although this is kind of a sidetrack here, Jason will get me back on track in a minute, that <laughs> I'm addicted to the uh, Hallmark Channel. And I happened to catch a movie oh, recently yeah. that was done years ago that your your mom was in. And that was kind of fun.
0: Yeah, she's done gone quite a few of those. I've, I've not seen all of them. I have to check those out. But I know she did a lot of really fun stuff with them. Yeah.
2: Um Okay, so can, what, tell us, how did you get involved in this documentary and give me some of the background of, um, this film?
0: Yeah, it's not a documentary. Uh, first of all, it's a, it's a fictional story that I wrote. Um, I happened to read an article in freedom magazine about the opioid crisis. This is now, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe, maybe almost two years ago. And they were pointing out that, um, there's this phenomenon of, of heroin usage spiking in the United States and the relationship between that and the opioid disaster and how one sort of spawned the other because as people were um, prescribed handfuls and handfuls of opioids, you know, and, and we're told, Hey, this is not going to be addicting. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, right. they got addicted of course. And, uh, and then at a certain point, they were not permitted to have prescriptions for opioids anymore. The doctors couldn't prescribe it or couldn't just keep sending them higher and higher dosages. So many just uh, ordinary Americans with who were recovering from an operation or an injury or, you know, like your, your mom or your grandma or yourself or anybody, uh, they started looking to other means to to avoid the horrible withdrawal of opioids and heroin uh, turns out to be a cheaper, easier (laughs) uh, solution to that for a lot of people. And that just uh, stunned me uh, because suddenly it was like, I mean, I've always had a little bit of a separation between people that get, you know, in my mind, people that get addicted to heroin. There's a certain image I have of them, and that's a lot of it brought on by the media and by the very storytelling I participated in a lot of TV shows and movies. We've
2: talked about that image a lot on the podcast.
0: Yeah, there's an image, right? Yeah. And then suddenly the image was like, oh, no, this could be your neighbor who fell off a ladder. And then he went to the doctor, and his back was in pain after the operation. So he, the doctor said, hey, take these opioids, and they work really, really super well. And uh, and then he finds himself down the road really in trouble and having to handle the problem of, uh, you know, pain mediation. So I, I was struck by that and it sort of opened my eyes to a whole new view of this horrible scenario. And I uh, happened to be i mean it's one of these things i I write a lot of things and i come up with a lot of ideas and i don't often do very much with it but when a good idea passes through my head i try to write it down and i woke up in the middle of the night and went oh my god this movie is playing in my head i better write it down and it was about the conceit was that um what if a father with a 20 year old son or 25 year old son uh, you know, a father, just a conservative guy who maybe runs a party shop or something. What if he had a back operation, got addicted to opioids? And what if his son used to be addicted to heroin? And the father thought, geez, you know, maybe this is horrible because my son's clean now. But what if he could get what if he could be a possible connection? Oh, wow. I thought that scene would be something to watch, you know, and something to right. It's a, a new look at a at this horrible problem.
2: Yeah
1: that actually just I just had like an emotional response to that mental imagery because I feel like that probably actually happens that, right. that that might not be I know you're making a fictional film but I feel like in reality that may be a scenario that is oh, playing, that why is not? playing yeah. itself out
0: yeah I, I had the same thought I mean it just struck me i sometimes these ideas come to you and you're and then later on you discover like a week later that, uh, Oh no, that's, that's, that's real. And and usually the truth and reality is even more ghastly and more (laughs) unpredictable. Right. But anyway, that was why we made the film. I I showed the the script idea to Taron Lexton, who's a film director and a producer, and he liked it so much and he agreed with the, uh, the need for it and the, the importance of the message. And so he said, let's, let's do this. And, um, so then we put it, we put it together, and we we shot it, and it's doing very nicely, I think.
2: That's awesome. How how can people watch it if they want to watch it?
0: Well, they can't watch it yet, unfortunately. They can see oh. a trailer for it, and I'll uh, send you the link to that. Okay. But uh, right now, it's in festivals, and one of the one of the rules of festivals is that it doesn't live online somewhere as well. Oh, I see. So I see. Uh, you know, there will be a period of the next few months, I think, where it will be bouncing around to different festivals, and then then it will be um, either on Vimeo or YouTube or, or somewhere.
2: Okay. What, what festivals has it been to, or will it be going to?
0: Well, it's at the sunscreen festival in Clearwater. It was at, uh, it won a platinum award at, uh, a, uh, a, a it's a, it's called con, but it's not the French. Con, it's not the big con oh. festival, all <laughs> our con film festival. Uh, and, uh, it's, you know, I'm I don't have them at the tip of my tongue, but there were, uh, it's in three or four right now. And we've, we're waiting to hear back on some other ones.
1: Cool. Now, can I ask you, um, has your life, I always say to Joni, when we're talking that you're hard pressed to find somebody out there that hasn't been personally touched by addiction in some way mm. has addiction either around you or anything affected your life personally, you know, being an American in the United States, growing up in Hollywood, growing up in Hollywood and having the epidemic the way it is.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, um, absolutely. I mean, in my case, in my, uh, my father was, uh, an alcoholic and then he was put on various substances to try to, I don't know, mediate that. Uh, I know that he was on lithium at one point, um he definitely had a kind of a biochemical aloofness and um i could see how it held him down you know spiritually and physically and eventually um he did uh, commit suicide oh, sorry. so yeah i mean it's a, it a tragic life it's a tragic life and a really sweet guy and uh it shouldn't have happened but um he didn't really get any proper help you know and uh nowadays i see and probably all, all around me, uh, <laughs> there are people who are dealing with uh, substance abuse and addiction and who, if they turn to the traditional, you know, medical uh, establishment solutions, I think they're more often than not given a different drug, a substitute drug. And that's not a handling at all, which is what another point we tried to make in our film. Um and yet it's, it's. I guess it must be workable to some degree in quotes to a large amount of Americans because they have to get, their main concern is getting back to work probably uh, after they get their pain, you know, kind of put to the side for a while. And so I think there, I suspect, and I know statistically that there are quite a few people that are managing their lives with drugs and trying to hang on and function and also not have to go through what possibly could be a, a lethal withdrawal. Um, and in my own life, I've known, um, you know, friends and, and people that, I mean, I mostly, I mostly don't hang around with people that use drugs recreationally. Right. But, the, but then you discover, oh, well, this person wasn't doing it in front of anybody. They just, that was how they had to cope. Right. And uh, there have definitely been people in my environment. And then, of course, we have all the famous ones that uh, I have a connection to just through being in Hollywood and also being being an Impressionist. Right. You know, so uh, uh, people like Robin Williams, and I've done Robin Williams' voice many times for various products and shows oh, yeah. and always felt a real kinship there. Uh, his case is perhaps a little more complicated than just a, an, an addict's case. but. Um, but anyway. still, it's
2: tragic, and and drugs are definitely involved, and yeah,
0: yeah, 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 exactly. But uh, my dad was the first one where I really went, wow, this is a this is a thing, this is a real, this is a tough one, because he was a, a bright man, and uh, it was uh, too much for him, you know.
2: Yep. Well, you are obviously familiar with the Narcanon program, and while we don't. Like make this podcast just all about Narcanon. You're absolutely right that there are there are the accepted treatments that are out there that do typically substitute one drug for another, and you know as we know, those of us who are familiar with the Narcanon program, that just doesn't work.
0: You know, yeah, it's what- not a long
1: term handling at all, right? You can't medicalize everything, right? Everything doesn't have to come back to. What medicine is indicated for this? What drug do we need to get you off this? What do we need to substitute to handle your chemical imbalances? I'm putting quotation marks and mm-hmm, fingers yeah. up here. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And all that stuff. And the thing that always bothered me as a person that went through addiction, went through all the, tra- I'm doing the quotes thing again, traditional, traditional programs. Mm-hmm. And I see what Narcanon does. And I just see all... The different illogical points that exist with traditional treatment. And I always say you can't fight drugs with drugs. You can't treat everyone like they're mentally ill and dump a bunch of more psychotropic drugs on them. You have mm-hmm. to just get down to what problems is a person trying to solve. By using drugs and alcohol, because we you, between the three of us and a lot of the listeners knows, I've said it a thousand times: drugs are a solution to a problem. That's right. Drugs are a solution to a problem. And what problems did you have that you couldn't confront that the drugs allowed you to live more comfortably in your own mind? And so that, to me, seems a lot more of a logical handling for addiction rather than just throwing more chemicals. You know, down a person's throat, hoping it works, the, hoping it the other
0: on. chemicals. Yes. The caloric- exactly. Well, it all starts, doesn't it, with that that uh, primary kind of uh, falsehood, which is that oh, well, yeah, it's a I I need this this drug, and it won't have it won't have a, an effect. Uh, you know, it'll just solve the problem. And, like I remember the only when I got involved with uh, smoking weed it was back in high school and I was just extremely tense and nervous. Okay. Well, I was tense and nervous for, for reasons, you know, they weren't, they didn't go away. I just stopped paying attention to them (laughs) and I felt, you know, comfortable, but that's like someone who feels comfortable and they're speeding down the road in in a car driven by an idiot. You know, you, you can feel comfortable in any situation. You can be, you know, completely, um, Unaware of what's going on, but that's not obviously not uh, not workable in the long term,
2: right?
1: Yeah, it's funny. He, it's funny you just said that because I always said about painkillers, I never thought they were good at handling pain. I thought they just got you loopy and high enough they just didn't care about the pain. I think mm. that's true
0: yeah. because yeah. like I
1: had knee surgery before I ever got addicted to opiates, and I took the I think they gave me Vicodin or they gave me Percocet mm-hmm. or something, and. I remember I just got high, but my knee still hurt, oh. but I didn't care. It was just like, it's fine. I'm like really comfortable in my bed right now. But it's a, it's a weird thing. So I just, it's interesting that you just said that because I've had that belief for a long time. It's like drugs don't really handle anything. They just put you in a mindset where you're like, whatever, I don't care. I'm, I'm in my own little planet or clouds or whatever. And it's interesting because I've always thought that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. It's the truth.
2: Jim, what would you say is like the overall message that you'd like to get across with the film? I I actually didn't know you'd written it, and that's pretty exciting to me.
0: Oh, well, I mean, I I just, the message, I mean, it's not a message film particularly. Uh, It's not like saying, you know... (laughs) Don't
2: do drugs. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Don't don't do drugs. Just (laughs) say no. Just say no. Just say no. Uh, No, it's just, I guess it's just pointing out it just, it, what it does, in effect, is point out that uh, this phenomenon of it could happen to anyone, it could happen to someone who's not a degenerate or not a criminal or not a sleazy person, but a guy who's like in your neighborhood who runs a store and just had some bad advice, and, and that it turns that person into a, a scheming uh, kind of dishonest person because of the power, real power exerted upon him by this, by the opioid, you know, which has a, and you would know this better than I, Jason, but it it, it must have quite a, uh, you know, a persuasive force upon one. Oh, yeah. And, and, and make you, to make you disrespect your family, to make you take unreasonable chances and to make you, you know, into a, a, a essentially a different kind of
1: human being yeah i and they and drugs are powerful i mean they are anything that can take you out of yourself and give you the promise of solving everything that ails you in a very simple pill powder or joint has ton it's it it, they're they're extremely powerful and they'll make you do things you never dreamed you would do hmm a, right. per, a person of my education upbringing doing the things that I did, it's like who, I don't even recognize who that person was, but the drugs will change you into that. Because when you're, in, when you're addicted, you ever, I mean, life in general is survival, but drugs become the way you survive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you don't that's have that's your drugs, right, and when you don't have your drugs, you feel as though your own survival is being threatened. The mm-hmm. longer you stay in withdrawal, the longer you're coming down and all of those uncomfortable sensations and thoughts and the guilt starts to creep in and all that happens, that is contra contrary to your own survival as a drug addict. And so you stay high and do everything you can because you think you're surviving better on drugs than you would off drugs. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the
0: that's whole a great betrayal, isn't it? It yep. is, isn't it? Yeah.
1: It's yeah. a, it's an unbelievable thing because if you look at a pill, like objectively look at a pill, like you see, you put one on a table and you step back and just kind of look at it. You'd never think something that little and fairly insignificant could do that. Could cause that much it, trouble. I mean, if you objectively just look at what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a three millimeter little circular or oblong shaped thing. And yep. sitting on the desk, it actually probably won't hurt you. But, but it's, your <laughs> you it do, it's your choice. What you are going to do is your choice. What you are going to do with it, right? That will. But it's just like if you think about it, it's like something that insignificant can mm. alter the course of a person's life in the most significant way possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's just I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: Well, Jim- and how long
0: have you? Uh, how long has it been since you stopped using opioids? Uh,
1: 2013 good long time yeah been a while um it's uh it's been a it's definitely been a journey um sure. I can't say one thing I can say is that I don't regret any part of my life because it shaped the person I became and I mm-hmm. don't think I ever would have been the person I am now without having gone through that and of course you know I had to deal with the shame and the guilt of everything I did under the influence of drugs and all of the transgressions that I committed against myself and other people and the entire world and human race in general. But, you know, I became a spokesperson for everyone else out there that's addicted and thinks they can't get out of it. And I became a person that tries to change the world one addict at a time. And if I, if I affect someone in a positive way every day, I feel like I've done my job for that 24 hour period. And I don't think I would have done that because before I got addicted, I was a college educated kind of miserable guy with low self-esteem that didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. And I think it took becoming a complete junkie and coming out of it to realize what it is I'm meant to do. Mm, Like that manifest destiny thing. (laughs) A lot of of respect there, man. Thank you.
2: Well, Jim, I wish you huge amounts of success with your film and, Everything else you do in your career. I I am a huge fan. You are unbelievably talented and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, Jason has another question. Uh, and
1: Jim, I just want to invite you anytime you're in Florida to come by Narcanon.
2: Oh, you should definitely do that the next time you come.
1: I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you.
2: It's it's quite it, it it's quite a place and I don't know if you've ever been to a graduation at Narcanon and listened to one of the students when they complete but it's it's quite something
1: Mm
0: -hmm. i'm sure it's beautiful and i'd love to come thank you absolutely
2: you're invited thank you so much jim um be well do well and i'm sure we'll talk again
0: thank you joni thank you jason you got it bye I, I, have,
2: I have to tell you, I love Jim Meskimen. He's a really nice guy, and he's one of the most phenomenal performers I've ever seen. He he just he does impressions like nobody's business. So anybody listening, just if you want a good laugh or you want some entertainment, go to YouTube and look up Jim Meskimen, just like it sounds, M E S K I M E N, and he's got great programs on YouTube. Yeah, lots of videos. Anyway,
1: I was gonna say. Um, the premise of his... I know I said it while we we're interviewing him, but the premise of the movie... It's heavy duty. That's heavy duty. It's
2: really heavy duty, but it's probably not out out there. As no. out there as somebody might think.
1: It's not because I frequently... Have, or I, we at Narcanon, frequently have parents whose kids put them in the program. It's not... Okay, when a lot of pe- I think when a lot of people think of addiction, it's like it's the poor parents and their addicted child, right? A lot of it's the poor children and their addicted parents. What do we do? Yeah, because no one, I think, I think what it, a lot of it is is no one wants to think that the people that are entrusted with the care of the child are going to be drug addicts, and the roles get reversed to where the child becomes the parent, and the parent becomes the child, right? It's a role reversal, and, it, yep. and it's hard to wrap your brain around. But I mean. Take it from a person who works inside of a drug rehab every single day. You've seen it. I see There's There's a few people there now that are like that, where they are actually the parents whose children called in and said, I can't take it anymore. My dad's addicted to painkillers. My mom's addicted to alcohol and Xanax. It's a thing. And it's something we ought to look at because, like like Jim was saying, he had a specific mental picture of what a drug act is. And right. a lot of that's because of, you know, the media and TVs and movies and stuff like and that. How
2: many times have we talked about that? That it's not the dirty guy down in the streets in the downtown city in the alleys. It's the upscale kid who's down the street from you.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the it's the kid whose mom dresses him in Abercrombie and Fitch that's what and I'm Hollister. Saying. Yeah. It is Yana's you know, lacrosse team yeah. and he is drinking, taking Xanax, and taking a couple oxys. At parties, right, and that will eventually lead into something, and that's the same person that gets hooked on heroin. Yeah. Eventually, that's your IV drug user.
2: You know, Jason, I'm just thinking it's it's a. I can only think of like a handful of films that have ever really addressed that point. Do you know? I can't think of any. Well, one of them is it is it Traffic? I think with Michael Douglas oh, yeah. and. Um, ugh just lost the name of the actress that plays his daughter and I know her, but she she gets addicted to drugs. And I mean, that's a very rare... He's actually part of the DEA mm-hmm. and she gets addicted to drugs. And the other one um, that I think is so hard-hitting... Okay, so the actress I was talking about is Erica Christensen, and I think she actually got quite a lot of critical acclaim for playing this daughter of Michael Douglas and she was addicted to drugs. But that shows exactly, you know, that type of thing going on. And Maybe I'm wrong, maybe there are a bunch more films and there's Requiem for a Dream, you know, young, vibrant young kids, not to mention the mother who gets addicted to the diet speed, pills. Right. But I th- I think that I don't think there are that many films that really put it in our face a lot. And so this is a short film that Jim did, it's not a feature film, but it it's it's bringing the whole subject to light and making people look at it because it's not It's just, you know, it's amazing that we would stereotype drug addicts, but that's basically what's been done. And it's not, it's just, it's not the case.
1: I mean, people look at me and talk to me and I get this a lot. And I don't know why it bothers me when people say this for some reason, but they say, you know, Jason, I can't ever picture you as a drug addict. It's like, why, (laughs) why can't you picture me as a drug addict? I I was one of, if you talk to my mom, I'm the worst drug addict that's ever existed on the planet. I was the worst. I was bad. I was an, I turned into an awful human being. But it's that statement that starts shutting our eyes to the people who are actually addicted out there. Because if you look at me and you say, "Well, I can never imagine you as a drug addict," it's like I'll take that as a compliment initially. And then I'll be like, "But why not?" Yeah. Because you should look at that. You should look at every single person in in at Narcanon Suncoast. And you would not come in there and say, "Yeah, this looks like a facility full of drug addicts."
2: No, there was. A, they
1: don't. They don't.
2: <laughs> there was a guy sitting next to me who I think graduated on Tuesday. So he was going to graduate on Tuesday. Uh, yes. Yeah, and he, he could have been a banker. Look like a banker or a lawyer. You know, granted, there's the share of tattoos and spiky hair. But <laughs> yeah. this guy sitting next to me, I swear, <laughs> he could have been a banker <laughs> or a lawyer. I knew he was a student because you know he said he was, but. You know, you, you we have to get rid of those stereotypes because they're just they're they you know they're just not right. You know, and until and that's part of the whole thing of becoming more and more aware and more understanding about this problem. Because if you take it, try and take this problem and stick it down in the dirty alleys with the homeless, it ain't going to get confronted. And that's why we talk about it the way we do on the podcast because it's it's everywhere.
1: And something very interesting about this. So I'm a type of person that talks to everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. I'm gonna, I I will get in communication with a lot of most people is I'm generally interested in other people. I do
2: that too. And yeah. so
1: I walked into Seven Eleven last night and there was this old man, there's an old man outside. said, hey man, do you, do you have any, first he goes, nice tattoos. Okay. And then he goes, um, right. And then he said, do you have spare change? And I said, no man, I'm sorry. You know, I, 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 I have a credit card on me. You know. do you take, I don't know if you take credit cards, but <laughs> I will give you. But anyway, I, so I walked back, I was thinking about him I walked back outside and he's still there. And I got in communication with him. I said, man, what are you doing here? Like, wh- what's going on? We, I, I generally want to help everybody. Right. Like, you know, if I can kidnap every drug addict and <laughs> stick them in Narcanon, and not charge them, I would. Got so I got, I got in communication with this guy. This guy, most people would look at him and say, you're a drug addict. You're outside of a convenience store at 1215 at night begging for a change. Most people. Drug not,
2: addict or alcoholic?
1: That's where most people's right. minds go, yeah. right? So That's I got, what I would
2: think is alcoholic and that if I give him money, he's not going to go buy food. He's going to go buy a bottle.
1: Right. And you're not alone in yeah. that. Yeah. And something about the guy prompted me to get in communication with him. And he was just, he was, uh, I can't i can't remember what exactly what it was, but he he didn't have any kind of retirement plan. Was in a job where he'd have to work basically until he died. He was a working class guy, got laid off, lost his house, lost his lost lost his job, lost his car, got diagnosed with a heart condition, and couldn't afford the copays to make sure he could get the medication he needed to keep his heart beating. Wow. And I said, "Are you on? Are you on drugs?" Or you? I mean, he's like, "I do not have an addiction problem. I don't." And the guy was very well spoken not under the influence. And that's what struck me initially when I walked in there because when people will beg you for change outside of a convenience store, a lot of times you can tell they're either on or coming off something. This guy didn't have that. That's why I think I wanted, I was interested. right? And so it furthered my opinion that it's like, you just don't know who the drug addicts are because it's like, it's not the way wow. everyone thinks it is because this poor man, and I do believe he is a victim of circumstance, yep. this poor man. Who's not addicted is probably being judged by every person that walks in there thinking, oh, you're some junkie or something. I lies. totally you're would gonna, have. I totally would go. have. You know, and, and he had just a series of unfortunate things happen to yeah. him that caused him to say, you know, the only thing I can do to try to get the medication I need is to uh, to ask people for Beg spare treatment. On change. the
2: street. Yeah. Basically. And wow. I
1: thought that was really interesting. It's heavy duty. And so you just. You never know these days. It's yep. like, be careful who you judge and how quickly you judge them. That's a good point. You know, I think that's a good underlying message here. Yeah. And, and, you know, addiction's an insidious thing that injects itself into lives of thousands, if not millions, of people every day. Yep, day. So we're all hit by it in some angle. That's right. And um, you and I just need to keep putting the word out. We need that's to keep right. talking to people. And we, need we
2: to still that. will do that every week. We'll be here again next week. We We have other interviews coming up. I know in May, um, we're going to interview a couple, they're not a couple couple, but there were uh, a guy and a girl who were at the symposium that I went to, the drug prevention symposium, and their whole message was um, the real victims in drug addictions are the children. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk to them in a couple weeks. And we've got some other interviews lined up. And in the meantime, if we don't have an interview, we're just Jason talk. and I are going to keep talking to you about this problem because <laughs> there's still people out there that need to hear it. Mm-hmm. So thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week.
1: See you next week.